0: parade, and, and everyone needs to learn the chords to Louie Louie, dun dun, 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 it's really easy to play on the It's good, but you can't really understand the lyrics in the original
1: song anyway, right? Well, we'll we'll figure something out. Save drugs. Yeah, yeah, save drugs.
2: I'm Garth Mullins, this is Crackdown. Episode 36, Some Exceptions Apply. It's a snowy morning in Vancouver. So much quieter out here when there's snow. You know, snow acts like acoustic paneling everywhere. It's January 31st, 2023, and I'm walking down Hastings Street, heading to the Vancouver area network of drug users it's a walk i've made hundreds maybe thousands of times but today feels special and let's see what i got here just about like i'd say a half gram half gram of you know 90 percent pure heroin old school tan colored heroin and um technically i'm a perfectly law-abiding citizen right now legally there's fuck all the cops can do about it. We're walking just blocks from where cops made Canada's first arrest for possession. It was a raid on an opium den back in 1908, and it was completely motivated by racism. For 115 years, cops have locked up drug users, particularly black and indigenous drug users, simply for possessing small amounts of drugs. But starting today, it looks like that's gonna change. Decriminalizing possession of small amounts of fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamines, yes, that's right.
1: On January 31st, British Columbia will allow adults to carry 2.5 grams of drugs including opioids, cocaine, crystal meth and MDMA.
2: So I just thought I would walk around on the street just to feel the feeling, you know, like You know, like this weird feeling like I've never, I've never had drugs in my pocket before and not. Somewhere in my soul felt that little worry. I mean, it's not like you think you're gonna get jacked up or arrested or something every time you walk out the door with something in your pocket. But somewhere you have learned to make peace with the possibility. On today's show, we're talking about decriminalization. British Columbia is now embarking on a three-year pilot project to decriminalize the simple possession of small amounts of certain drugs, including up, down, side, and MDMA. That's opioids like fentanyl, crack, cocaine, meth, and ecstasy. The new policy is far from perfect, but that's not really what I'm thinking about as I head to the meeting at Vandu. What I'm thinking about is victory.
1: Well, then please stand up. Hats off if you can. Hats off. off. Uh, This is where it all begins, folks. For 25 long years, we've been holding these meetings every single Tuesday. Uh, And Vandu's history of activism and organizing the revolutionary spirit begins right here, Tuesday Group, every single week. Thank you so much for coming. Have a good meeting, folks.
2: Maybe I could just uh, let the folks know this is Alex DeBourde, who works on the Crackdown podcast. Well, we've been recording around here for five years or so for the podcast, so I just want people to know that uh, I host the fucking thing. But uh, I got another job that VanDuke gave me a couple of years ago, which was to go into these these little rooms where the government is coming up with their little plans and uh, fight for a better option. You know, we knew that they were going to give us nothing but fuckery, so like. When Vandu was meeting, when we didn't have a building like this, when we met in the park there, Oppenheimer Park, for the first time in like 1997-98, that's the first time that I remember hearing this word decriminalization. That's 25 years ago. We never let the demand go. When Justin Trudeau got elected and he came to this place, uh, you know, came to this neighborhood and said, oh, I'm here to listen. Uh, You know, people said nice stuff, but I think it was Al Fowler was there, and Al said, what about decriminalization? And Justin Trudeau said, oh, don't hold your breath. No, 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 we'll never do that. We And mm-hmm. we said, well, we'll just see about that. <laughs> we fought for this thing, and they they did not want to do it. They did not want to go in that room. The cops didn't want to do it. No, we fucking wanted to do it. We made them do it. It's not good enough. we got to make them do it better. But fucking A, community power, man. We yeah. fought, we got to take the W. The group doesn't waste all that much time celebrating. After just a few minutes, the conversation turns to how we can improve the version of decrim that's now in place. Because, frankly, it's not all that great. In the words of BC's provincial government, drugs have been decriminalized, but, quote, some exceptions apply. Here are some of the most egregious exceptions. It's still illegal to possess benzodiazepines, and a huge percentage of the down on the street has benzos in it. We don't know how the cops are gonna handle that, but it's obviously a massive cause for concern. Then there's the threshold limits. As a representative for Vandu, I watched the cops and government keep whittling down the amount that we're allowed to carry on us. It went from something pretty decent to something that's way too low, 2.5 grams total. As in, all your drugs have to be under 2.5 grams. And for a lot of us, that just ain't enough.
1: Not going to work. Well, I was
2: wondering for people with mobility issues you can't make a trip downtown every day. Good point. We got to add that to the list. That's really, I thought about that.
1: Same with people, I've talked to lots of um, women and non binary folks around Banji who say, I don't feel comfortable going to a dealer or engaging in the illicit market every day. I get someone to go for me and buy for both of us. So that's another example of like people take measures that they need to take. Uh, when they're engaging with the market, and by putting a cap on it at 2.5, they're potentially putting people at more risk and forcing Yo, people yeah. to engage more frequently Especially
2: with engaging. the market.
1: Because they allegedly don't <laughs> want people to engage with people.
2: Yeah. Maybe the dodgiest thing about this policy change is that it preserves a prominent role for cops. They're going to be tasked with searching us and eyeballing our drugs, and handing out these little cards with information about treatment and recovery on them. That means drug users are going to keep being over surveilled and over policed. The politicians also continue to express enthusiasm for the drug war. They say they're going to go after the dealers even harder now that simple possession is decriminalized. And if they do this, if they actually step up their war on the dealers, the drug supply will get even worse and people will die.
1: Yeah, as uh, you know, on this note about cops, right? As you said, this is just the beginning. We know that when policies, like, you know, determined up high, actually the p- behavior of police on the ground, how will that policy trickle down to, you know, the everyday beat cop, right? These cops have been trained for years, decades, in thinking of every single person, every single drug user on the downtown east side as an enemy to be contained and suppressed. You think one policy, yeah, dreamed up by some uh, politicians and uh, high level cops, is going to change things immediately? The work of the next three years, right? of our community will be making sure, keeping an eye on these cops, right? They say that they're going to be eyeballing, right, what 2.5 looks like. Unless they're Robocop and they got these little bionic eyeballs, I don't think I trust these guys,
2: right? The cops always find a way to increase the fuckery or find some new angle or something like that, right? So we need to keep fighting. And this is also another Van Du classic, is when we arm twist the state, the government, until they give us a little concession. We don't go, oh, victory, we won, we're all done. We're not like George Bush on the fucking aircraft carrier with that Mission Accomplished banner. We're like, no, no, no. So today's the 31st. What are we going to do on February 1st? We're going to keep fucking fighting.
1: Okay, please, everyone, stand up. We're closing the meeting. Dave, could someone please end this out? Dave Hamm, are you here? Hey, can you add this out with a moment of silence,
2: please?
1: Yeah. Okay, everybody.
2: Uh, at this time, we're going to remember those that have come before us and done all their hard work, and uh, I'm sure they're all resting in power, and that they're uh, yeah, this day is a day that we actually had a win. So, if there's any of the names of those that are still suffering, or those that have uh, lost their lives to the drug war, war on the poor, colonialism, Etc. Now's the time to say their names. I'm <laughs> a religion. Right. We need rest right. in power. All right, all right. Rest in power, folks. All right, please put away your chairs.
1: We will call your name. We will call your name.
2: Papaver somniferum, poppy of sleep, source of opium and many derivative drugs such as morphine and heroin, all invaluable aids in the practice of
1: medicine, all dangerous drugs of addiction. Under the Narcotic Drugs Commission of the United Nations, growth of the opium poppy is permitted
2: only under license, and traffic in opium is legal only to supply the medical requirements. ...of the 58 member nations who supervise its use within their borders under standardized laws. For these nations have condemned the misuse of drugs as a stain on the body politic. Okay, so we're just uh, down the street from Vandu. The meeting on decriminalization has just wrapped up. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more with Sam about... Uh, how different players are thinking about decrim today. You know, how the politicians and the media are reacting. Hey, Garth, how's it going? Good, good. Actually, it is going good. It's a good day. You know, a thing is happening. That's right. Yeah. Can you
0: remember when was the first time you, you became interested in advocacy for
2: decriminalization? I mean, I was a regular drug user, daily heroin user, injection drug user, full of shame and I just thought, you know, drugs are illegal. Of course, they're illegal. I'm a criminal for using them. Uh, you know, like I got first uh, arrested for felony methamphetamine possession in, I think, 1990. And um, that definitely uh, marked my life, alerted me to the consequences, but didn't didn't stop me exactly. Uh, and But I just thought, this is the game. These are the rules. This is how it works. And it was only through sort of getting politicized with other activists that I started to think about it differently. And the first meeting I went to uh, about decriminalization specifically, the meeting was called Decriminalize Heroin, and it was held on August the 8th, 1998. And I I actually made the poster for it, and the logo on the poster is where we got the crackdown logo from. Uh, But that was a long time ago, and that was a previous overdose crisis ago. And the cops back then were running wild on all of our asses. And so the discussion there was, how do we get the police out of our lives? And also, how do we stop dying from, uh, you know, what what then was China white? So
0: one of the things that we know to be true is that sort of regardless of what the actual law is, that may or may not correspond to with how police behave on the ground. Garth, can you talk a little bit about what Vandu members and Crackdown Editorial Board members have experienced in their po- interactions with police officers.
2: well, you walk into Vandu on any day and just shout, hey, has anybody ever had their drugs seized by the cops? Everyone's hands go up. You say, has anybody had their drugs seized by the cops with no charge? Lots of hands still up. Has anybody ever had their money seized by the cops? Plenty of hands still up. You know, I remember um, one of our editorial board members, a good friend of mine, uh, calling me on welfare day saying he just had his, his, uh, welfare money, which he had gotten into cash through Money Mart, uh, taken by the police. They just said, oh, this is drug money, took it. No, no paperwork, no charge, no nothing. And, uh, Pivot Legal Society has heard this many times. Um, it's very hard to prove, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, presumably, if there's no receipt, uh, that money doesn't go get entered into evidence. You, the cops don't say, oh, you can go reclaim it if you can prove where it came from. It just goes into somebody's pocket. We've heard this so many times that it can't be uh, urban myth or people just talking shit. You know, there's got to be something to it.
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing that that um, I'm thinking about on, on this day when things change is my friends who have done time for, for drug possession or other crimes that are related, you know, sort of related crimes. And one of those people is you, Garth, right? And others are members of our editorial board. Um, I'm wondering if you could just say a few words about the kind of um, personal toll that these laws have, have um, had on, on you and your
2: friends um, over the years? I mean, <clears throat> if you have to do something every day that risks your arrest and incarceration, including incarceration for sometimes a long period of time, um, that means you have to lead your life, or a big part of it, sort of outside of society. You know, it, that sword of Damocles is always hanging over your head that the police could always jack you up, search you, find paraphernalia, find drugs on you. Um, and it could it could change everything right in that moment. You know, uh, and, and for that to end, even partially end, is big, right? Um, you know, police in many jurisdictions say they haven't been prosecuting people or arresting people for simple possession as much lately for a few years. Um, that may be true, but the ability for them to still do it that police discretion that cop if they just don't like the look of you that they can mess with you at least taking one of those avenues of messing with you away um that's a good step in the right direction you know and i i think that makes a difference those are the things
0: that make me feel kind of hopeful about today and excited about today but then there's a lot of reasons that i don't feel as excited about today i'm sure you feel the same way and the first is maybe just say a little bit about Do you know anybody for whom you think this is going to make a tangible – here in Vancouver where we live – for whom this is going to make a tangible difference in the amount of um, interaction they have with the cops on a regular basis?
2: Well, according to the training video they made for themselves, they're not going to be taking the drugs off us, sending them to a lab to figure out what they are. They're just going to look at them and kind of just, I guess, ask us, what's this? And if we say coke, they're going to be like, okay – And they'll look at it, and they've sort of given themselves pictures to eyeball what does 2.5 grams of Coke look like, etc. And they're going to say, okay, well, this is over or under. And then uh, act, uh, I guess, if they follow the rules, they're supposed to not seize it, not charge you, and just let you go. Starting today, substance users in British Columbia caught with small amounts of certain drugs won't face arrest or fines as the province tries to deal with the opioid crisis. Instead of arresting users, police officers will hand out resource cards connecting people to social services and health supports. They are going to try and give people a uh, an information card that says where you can go to get help, right? This is uh, you can, you know, follow the links to online um, list of uh, fragmented list of uh, detox and recovery places for which there are long waiting lists. Um, potentially from a card from police. We, we had this – it sounds a little semantic, but we had this fight in the, in the uh, committees that, that sort of were involved in this plan about what kind of interactions police and drug users ought to have. And the police and the government said improved interactions. And we said less or no interactions. Uh, and improved interactions is what won the day in the final text, of course. So we lost – if a cop is going to suggest something to me, I'm likely to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. So if that cop comes up to me and sticks out one of these cards towards me on the street, I'm going to pull my hand back and let it flutter into the gutter. I'm not touching that thing, you know? Uh, it's just like, it's it's just not how it works. These The cops have been messing with us for years and years and years, all through the drug war. For 115 years, cops have been fucking with drug users, and just because of what's happened today doesn't mean that's all going to change doesn't mean that we're supposed to trust them or or anything like the idea of decrim in my mind is that the cops get away from us not get closer to us with health information cards that's just police creep into the healthcare system as far as i'm concerned i think like
0: when when you imagine decrim or maybe when you and i imagine decrim what we think about is that the police will stop harassing people and getting in their pocket
2: over small-time possession, right? This is what decrim is supposed to be, right? No role for the cops anymore. Not that the cops are, like, um, recommending or channeling you towards some alternative, some drug treatment or some medical help or something like that. Just that, that they're not there at all. There's no interaction at all. That cops just have nothing to do with you anymore. That, to me, is decriminalization. No more cops, no more drug seizures, no more arrests. No more criminal records, no more courts, no more jails, no more your kids getting snatched because you have an illegal substance, no more getting fired for the same reason, no more getting evicted. Like all of those serious sanctions for the possession and use of small amounts of drugs, that ceases. That's what decriminalization is about for me.
0: Who do you uh, think is most to blame for things being watered down in the way that they have been?
2: I mean, frankly, the the police and the state still want a drug war, right? So this is, uh, in in some ways, this is the police getting a clarified mandate for what their continued prosecution of the drug war is going to look like. So if the state and the police didn't want a drug war, they would end it. They would rip up the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act uh, and we would usher in a new regime, but they still want the drug war. So we're still having it. So this is a bad compromise between the people who who are trying to destroy the drug war, us and the state and the cops who who continue to enjoy it. You know, there's votes in it for the state. There's um, budgets in it for the cops. So they're just they're in a conflict of interest for ending it. They, I mean, they don't want to yet because we haven't built up enough pressure to force them to.
0: So just to summarize quickly everything we've said here, essentially what we're saying is this is day one. Um, there's still lots to learn. We don't know exactly how this policy is going to play out. It is is it, it it is good that this is happening. We still have to fight for more. And we're going to see on the ground and continue to try to cover the story of what decrim looks like and how it actually influences drug users where we live. Um, there's a second... Element of this, which I think is really important, which is that now in Vancouver, if you squint your eyes, like let's say you you read the National Post uh, and you kind of skim the articles about drugs, or you watch mainstream televised news about this, I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that have a general impression that in Vancouver and British Columbia, what we have now is uh, the government taking up the two major planks. Of the drug user movement's demands since the overdose crisis began, which is to deliver a safe supply of drugs to people and to decriminalize the possession of drugs, and to some extent, we are already seeing comparisons between, uh, if you want to call it like an Alberta model um, of of just sort of open drug war hostility, to a to the Vancouver model of this. Of, of safe supply and decrim, both those things in in quotes there, Garth. And I want, and I wonder what you think about about that. The way this is going to feed into the the national conversation about drugs in Canada.
2: I mean, let's start with safe supply, right? Um, in the, I guess, in the spring of 2020, as the first wave of the pandemic was breaking, we reported to you uh, in something called apocalypse prescribing. In that episode, the arrival of what. Now the government calls Safe Supply.
0: To properly battle the COVID-19 epidemic, we must tackle the poison drug epidemic. So I'm grateful to the federal government for enabling Safe Supply to move ahead. And now the province is hard at work to
2: determine the rollout. But was actually just a prescribing method that allowed doctors to prescribe diluted hydromorphone, which is kind of like a distant cousin to the real dope people are doing now. I just started my, uh, my medicinal chipping dose today. <laughs> what do you, what's that? What do you mean? I got my, uh, I talked to Dr. Solomon this morning because I'm scared of going out and buying street dope. So you're, uh, you're now accessing the uh, I'm on enhanced the program. prescribing? I'm on the program. Got two months prescription and I get a weekly dispense. That never really got implemented fully, you know? So like a couple thousand people might be on that right now out of a hundred thousand or more, uh, daily drug users in British Columbia. But that didn't stop the government from trumpeting this really hard. Like, see, look what we did. Look how great we are. See how we're doing it. Like really lean into that hard, but that horn honking and trumpet blowing of what is a tiny anemic couple of pilot projects instead of the real deal has allowed the right wing to say, Look, they got what they wanted, safe supply, and people are still dying, and Vancouver's a wreck, and the place is worse than ever, when in fact, it's nowhere near what we were fighting for. And the right wing, including uh, the new, um, newly minted last year leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Pierre Polyev, has said that the <laughs> the prescribing of hydromorphone is actually responsible for the overdose fatality crisis, uh, you know, completely reversing the cart and the horse. This is a deliberate policy by
0: woke liberal and NDP governments to provide taxpayer-funded drugs, flood our streets with easy access to these poisons.
2: So using small, anemic, watered-down reform The right has been able to turn it into very successful propaganda, which helped propel a new administration into power in Vancouver and is probably going to do the same in the province of British Columbia and in a couple of years, probably the country of Canada. What's going to happen with decriminalization? The same fucking thing unless we fight really hard.
0: Okay, so now I want to play a clip from CPAC. In this clip, we're going to hear a reporter asking conservative leader Pierre Polyev if he's elected. Will he reverse decriminalization? The Trudeau NDP approach is on open display in Vancouver. It is a complete disaster. It is hell on earth. We're gonna reverse
2: that policy and we're gonna reverse it. we're gonna replace it with recovery and treatment. So no surprise that um, the new leader of the conservative party does not like decriminalization, but he's pointing to um, overdose deaths and misery which are because of the drug war, yeah. not because of these small pilot projects or small measures or little experiments that barely touch nothing. They're because of the thing that he seems to be most proud of: the tough-on-crime, tough-love, crackdown approach. Right? Yeah. This is what he likes.
0: Yeah, and and the clip there, I think, is a good reminder. I mean, throughout the show, we've been hearing about the need to fight um, for the sake of progress to improve things, but you know, there's another reason to to fight too, which is that history can roll back on you really fast if you're not fighting as well. And here we've got a great example of that.
2: This, he's promising that when he becomes prime minister, I mean, I think there's a good chance that he'll become prime minister in 2025, that he's going to rip this up, right? And we saw his, his political predecessor, Stephen Harper, ripped up the same Section 56 exemption, the same mechanism that's used to deliver decrim here was used to let insight, and he tried to rip that up too right? Stephen Harper tried. It's the same tactic. It's the same same old tactic. And just like back then, we're going to have to defend this thing. We're going to have to get out and fight for it just like people did a generation ago to save insight from the conservatives. We're going to have to save this diet decrim from the conservatives in the coming years.
0: clip now from uh, back in june of uh, 2022 um, uh, on the ctv program question period where evan solomon is interviewing the then uh minister of mental health and addictions here in bc um sheila malcolmson
2: minister how are will canadians and people in british columbia how will they know if this is working you've got three years here is there a number that you say we expect the overdose deaths to fall by x number uh or is this in conjunction with stopping the toxic supply? In other words, how do we know if this is actually a a good solution or not? The work that's easier for us to measure is how many more addiction treatment beds we're able to stand up, how quickly we're able to chip away at the waiting list for them, how many more people we're able to connect with medication-assisted treatment, prescribe safe supply, um, how many more visits we have to supervise consumption sites and testing centers? That's all much more measurable, so the the minister is saying the way to measure the success of decriminalization is how many treatment beds you're able to uh, stand up, she says. for us, for for Vandu, for the drug user liberation movement who proposed and fought for this, this is about getting police out of our lives. So this is about like less arrests, less jail time, less, uh, harassing us and carting us in the street, less se- uh, searching us, less seizing our drugs, less all of that.
0: Yesterday, the government of BC held a press conference to roll out their new decriminalization plan and at added uh, Carolyn Bennett, the uh, federal minister of mental health and addictions, and Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's BC's provincial health officer. They both spoke about the topic of uh, stigma. Let's hear those clips.
2: The stigma and shame
1: around using drugs often means that people don't reach out to their friends or their family or their health professionals because they're afraid of the stigma that they're going to face.
2: Through this exemption, we will be able to reduce the stigma, the fear and shame that keep people who use drugs silent about their use or using alone and help more people access life-saving supports and treatment.
0: Do you think this decriminalization policy is going to stig- destigmatize drug users in British Columbia?
2: I mean, I suppose in an incremental, in a very small way, it might. I mean, you think about it. Uh, the operating instructions for stigma is the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, right? That's where everyone gets their instructions from. Who's who's an other? Who's an outsider? Who's to be criminalized and locked up? And who's a regular, respectable civilian? Um, the fact that this partially exempts some people from that act is kind of like a partial uh, step away from stigma. Although I don't think that stigma and the ideas uh, that are rampant in governments and societies operate in exactly that way. Like you won't see a, I don't know, a fifteen percent reduction in stigma, or there'll be two point five grams less of stigma weighing on the scale, or something. I, I. I don't know. Stigma is a lovely word for uh, government officials to use though, because it's so nebulous and unmeasurable and it individualizes the problem instead of an idea that rests in the uh, capital cities of the province and the country or whatever. It's like, oh, it's in all of our little heads. Oh, it's our problem. In fact... Stigma is our fault as drug users. It's us getting in our own way. If only we would have nicer ideas about ourselves, maybe we'd go get help. And if the cops weren't so mean to us, maybe we'd have nicer ideas about ourselves. Uh you know, I guess that's what she means.
0: Right. And I think as long as and maybe maybe just to you know, as long as um telling the truth about your drug use to um to people around you may result in your children being taken away from you may result from you being fired may result in you going to jail um evicted
2: cut off your meds everything else family ostracization yeah
0: as long as as long as those sorts of policies are in place um there is no destigmatizing drugs you can't destigmatize something when the actual reality of telling the truth about it is that you will be harmed by the, by people with authority in society, and that is still very much the case for telling the truth about drug use, I mean, including to doctors. And so, um, so I think that, you know, it, as long as we're talking about stigma, you know, the minister might want to think about how to address those forms of stigma or those drivers of stigma in the system. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to hear a clip um, with BC's Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, uh, Jennifer Whiteside about how um, we can actually evaluate success or failure of this program.
1: Do you think, come February 1st, when you can have decriminalized two and a half grams of heroin or cocaine, do you think that'll save lives? I, I, I mean, I, I think we'll see. I think we'll. I think obviously we're going to we're we're, we're going to see the impact in terms of um, the the uh, you know the interaction between uh, the between what, what happens between law enforcement and, and individuals uh, on on the ground. I, and I think we'll we'll see what happens. But you're not going to say yes or no, because yeah,
2: you want to see the data. I am
1: going to wait to see. I, I mean, I I am going to wait to see what the what what the data tells us.
2: Well, the minister is evasive there, right? She doesn't want to answer the question. And I think she's, I mean, she's right to try and dodge that because truthfully, I think decriminalization is not by itself going to change the mass death rates. I mean, today we also saw the coroner announce that for 2022, there was 2,272 uh, people that died from overdose. That's a huge number. And numbers like that aren't going to come down just by decriminalization alone it takes uh replacing the toxic drug supply you know it takes uh the kind of action from groups like the drug user liberation front to provide tested drugs or a more robust and and far-reaching uh, prescribing model where people can actually get the pharmaceutical version of the shit that they're doing on the street that's so lethal I know probably a lot of people listening are thinking, man, those babies in Vancouver, they got it so good. Yeah. They're, people are getting to walk around with 2.5 grams. They always got some kind of reform they're talking about. And here's the people on Crackdown at Van Du dissing it and saying, oh, it's not good enough, this or that, right? I mean, let's address that. For one, my job as an organizer is not to celebrate the state when it has a concession. It's to fight for the next one. Yeah. You're always looking to the future. So you can never say that's good enough. Let's stop. You always got to be fighting. Because if we'd stopped, we would have stopped at one safe injection site, InSight, or we would have stopped before that at um, needle distribution, or we would have stopped before that at a small one on clinic in Vancouver or whatever. So if we stop and say that's good enough and pat them on the back, we never get to the next thing. So, Garth, to finish
0: up here, so we make a radio show about um, the drug war, and, and mostly we focus here in Vancouver, and, you know, here we are sitting on this, like— important day or maybe important day. It depends on how you want to think about it. Um, what, How do you think that this new policy, like like how do you think this conversation we, we're having right now is going to influence the type of storytelling you want to do on the show over the next
2: months or years? I mean, you're kind of asking how's the world going to change, right? Yeah. I And I don't know. I mean, I know today probably not much will have changed. People still have to learn about this on both sides, on the cop side and on our side. Police have to decide whether they're actually going to implement it and to what degree and in what way. We have to see how much of this going after dealers there's going to be. And me and Van Du are going to continue to go to these tables and fight for a more fulsome version of decriminalization. Also, obviously, we're going to continue to fight for safe supply and overall for an end to the drug war. All I can say is that, you know, um, we're going to continue to tell uh, stories that come from the trenches of the drug war, although some exceptions may apply. Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Castor, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Laura Shaver, Raya Jean, and rest in peace Dave Murray, Greg Ferez, and Cherise Kiwatin. This episode was conceptualized, written, and produced by Sam Fenn, Alexander Kim, Alex DeBoer, Lisa Hale, and me, Garth Mullins. Thanks to everybody at Vandu's Tuesday education meeting, including speakers Eris Nix, Vince Tao, Dave Hamm, and Caitlin Shane. Special thanks to Dave Hamm for helping us with the cover photo. Our academic director is Ryan McNeil. Sound design by Alexander Kim. Score by James Ash. Crackdown is funded in part by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. This episode was produced with support from the Pivot Legal Society and the Unbounded Canada Foundation, if you like what we do, please support us at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and keep six.